So while we're going through a series been talking about, we call the atonement, talking about why did Jesus have to die? What exactly happened on the cross and resurrection and all the stuff that's involved in that. And it's actually a kind of a complicated topic, which is why it takes more than one day to go through it all. My hope for today and next week is to kind of get a little bit on the details on the actual bit, and then we'll take a few weeks to zoom in out. It's kind of seen as a whole, but today I want us to talk about the event of the cross and what happened there, uh, the cross specifically. And next week we're going to look at the resurrection, the ascension, and why those are so important as well. But um, there's just not enough time today to talk about all three things all at once. So we're going to talk about the cross. And the cross is, as, as an understatement, is extremely important to Christianity. Um, you know, Paul said that I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus said, if he wants to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Uh, you could say that the event on the cross is kind of the centerpiece, uh, the climax of everything theological and historical about Christianity. And that makes it unique because Christianity is not the only movement, if I can use that term, who's had a leader that has died. I mean, you have, um, you know, like the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. Um, you have other movements where people have been assassinated or people have been put on trial and that kind of stuff. And of course, the thing that makes Jesus unique is he didn't stay dead after he got killed. But not just the resurrection, the method of the cross is so different compared to the way other leaders have been killed. Because the cross is... <laughs> Um, by design, the most inhumane way to kill somebody in every facet imaginable. And that's what I hope to talk a little bit about um, to you today. You know, let's read, somebody read for me 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. All right. <laughs> Through 24, yeah. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek to lose them. For we preach Christ crucified, they stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. So, 1 Corinthians 1 22 through 24 says that the story of the cross is foolishness to Jews and the stumbling block to Gentiles or the other way around. I can't remember exactly which one it was. <laughs> and which sometimes can be odd to us. In fact, when you read the Gospels, the actual physical part of the cross is not that described. It talks about what Jesus said. It talks about what people said to Jesus. But the cross itself is not that well described and that's because when paul was writing stuff like that when jesus was on living on earth and the gospels were written people saw crucifixions all the time the lot the roads would be lined with people dying on crosses so they didn't need to really talk about what it was like to be crucified and why crucifixion was special they didn't need to explain why crucifixion was a stumbling block or foolishness 
because everybody had seen it. They automatically knew, yeah, you're right. I can see why that would be a silly story to tell because I can see the people hanging on the hills right now on those crosses. But to us, the likelihood is you've probably, unless you've been like in war or something, never seen anything that can compare to what a Roman crucifixion was like. And so we, you know, don't get that same sense of what it means to have a stumble block or the foolishness of Jesus. And so what I'm hoping we can do today is first talk about just the physical aspects of what made the cross unique compared to other methods of killing people. And then talk about the spiritual aspect of what happened to Jesus on the cross. Because the cross is not just important because of what happened to him physically. It's important to what because of what happened to him spiritually. In fact, that's more important, really. So let me talk about the cross and, and just being on there for a second physically. So the goal of a Roman cross was really two things. One, it was to punish somebody who was a lower class. It was um, upper class people didn't like talk about it. So Cicero, he referred to the cross as the most extreme form of torture inflicted on slaves. Roman writers referred to the cross as the servile supplicium, which means the slave's death. Plutus, the comic dramatist, talked about the cross as being for slaves as well. So the crucifixion wasn't just your average everyday execution method. It was reserved specifically for people who were really considered lower class slaves and the worst and the worst of of society they had other ways to kill people if they wanted to and they didn't always do that the second thing we got to know about the roman cross the second goal i should say is the is the whole point was to make it as degrading to the person getting home it was not just about the physical pain the cross was about completely humiliating and dehumanizing the person on there. So I'll read you this quote. It said, the crosses were executed publicly, situated on crossroads or well-trafficked arteries of town. The person would be devoid of clothes, left to be eaten by birds and beasts. And victims of crucifixion were subject to optimal, unmitigated, vicious ridicule. So with those in mind that it was for the lower class and the whole point was to make it as degrading and dehumanizing for the person on the cross as possible, let's first talk about the physical aspect of what the person went through. So the first part of being on a cross was getting scored, whipped, which Jesus went through. Um, and what we're going to talk about today, um, and I should have said this earlier, you know, how many of y'all have ever seen The Passion of the Christ? Anybody not seen it? Because it looks like most of y'all had. Okay, so everybody has seen it, or at least is willing to admit. Um, so Mel Gibson did a pretty good job on The Passion of the Christ. Of course, the whole point of that movie was to introduce what a crucifixion is like for people like us who have never seen it. But he wasn't historically accurate in every way and he actually toned it down a little bit. And so as I was preparing this lesson, this is not like a, it's an interesting lesson in the fact that if you like history, 
it's interesting to learn this kind of stuff because this is not the stuff you learn in Sunday school class with children. But it's also a hard thing to hear when you actually realize that Mel Gibson toned it down from what it really was like. So I say that to say the first step was the scourging where they took leather cords and small and they put small pieces of metal or bone and stuff inside of it, uh, the cat of nine tails. And the point of those things was to rip flesh. So they would, first of all, strip the person down completely naked, which was part of, again, part of the dehumanization, the degrading part. They'd be completely naked in front of people, um, place them where they could have full exposure to their buttocks and their back. And the end of these whips were designed to grip flesh and just yank it out in chunks. So usually after about one or two whips, they were already down to the muscle tissue around the skeleton. And often by near the end, you would begin to see bone and maybe even some internal, um, internal organs by the end of it. The whole point of this was not to kill them. It was actually to inflict as much pain on the person as possible without killing them. And so it was all about just ripping unnecessary flesh away without killing the person, including being ridiculed and mocked by the people while they're doing it, which is in the Passion of the Christ. The guy's laughing at them while they're doing it. Um, and then often they would taunt them afterwards, which happened to Jesus with the crown of thorns and the robe and that kind of stuff. They would taunt them afterwards as well. After they hit them with the cat of nine tails, then they would parade them through the streets and they would put only the horizontal bar on their back. So the pictures of Jesus doing a full cross, that's not how they did it. The, the vertical beam was permanently grounded in place. They didn't move those. So they only put the, the horizontal beam on their back and Jesus, of course, was hit so bad during the scourging that he couldn't carry that horizontal beam. They had to get somebody else to do it. But the point of the parade, again, while the person was naked, was to allow people to spit on them, to mock them, to throw feces at them. Basically, it was a form of entertainment to the people to make fun of these guys as they were going through this parade up to the cross. Once they got to the cross, they would throw the person down on their back, usually not gently, and then nail, their, nail them to that horizontal beam. Now, uh, you know, most pictures have it through the hand. Most everybody admits that now the, the Greek word for hand can actually mean the whole forearm down from the elbow. And so we know from history, they didn't put it in the palm, they put it in the wrist or maybe even the forearm because if you put it in the palm, it would just tear right out. There's not enough bone there to hold somebody up. So they would nail the nails into the forearm or the wrist there. And then they would hoist the person up on a pulley onto the horizontal beam. So for a while there, they're just dangling before they can put it on that, for that vertical beam there. And they slide it in. Then after they slide the person into the vertical beam, then they would nail their feet up to them. <clears throat> so that gets you all the way to actually hanging on the cross. I skipped ahead. All right. So once people are hanging on the cross, people usually lasted for 
for three hours to four days, really depending on how badly injured they were going up to the cross and how much they cared to keep trying to live. Um, if they lived too long, people would, they would break their legs to make them die quicker, which happened inside the gospel stories where they, Pilate tells them to break their legs and they break the other two people's legs, but then they come to Jesus and he's already dead. So they don't break his legs. Uh, they did that to speed it up. And we'll talk about why that was important later, but um, the, what made the cross difficult other than just the pain of the nails and, and stuff was it, it made it so that you couldn't breathe. Normal breathing procedure requires you to um, lift up your chest a little bit to breathe out. But what the cross would do, because you're hanging there on your wrist and stuff, it would press your chest down so you were suffocating by the weight of your own body upon you. And the only way you could breathe is by pulling up on the nails on your wrist and pushing down with the nails on your feet. So your chest would get high enough so you could inhale. Um, in the process, not only would that hurt because you're pressing against the nails, but you'd be twisting your arm in the nails, which would cause more damage to the nerves and stuff in your wrist and your back that had already been broken open by the scourging would be splintered by the splinters in the rough hewn crop. So every time you took a breath, it would hurt more. And with each excessive breath, it would be harder and harder because it would hurt worse and worse until you got to the point where you started having muscle cramps and uh, uh, thirst problems, uh, bugs would start flying around you and landing on you and that kind of stuff. So with each, with each moment, it would get harder to breathe, but your option was either to push up and endure that pain or not breathe and suffocate. And um, eventually, essentially, you would give up trying to breathe and the weight of your own body would suffocate you. And you died by suffocation on the cross, not by blood loss. Uh, you just died because you couldn't take any more breaths. So that was the that's that was the physical pain of what endured by a Roman cross. Now let's talk about the mental and emotional part about it, because again, the cross was not just designed by the Romans to be physically painful; it was designed to be humiliating to the person on there too. So the first part that was um, emotionally hard is that in both Greek and Jewish culture, especially dying from hanging from a piece of wood was considered something that was God forsaken. Uh, it was something that you did if God hated that person. And so you'd be hanging in there knowing that not only you being killed in a way that was God forsaken, but other people watching would look at you and say that person is God forsaken. So let's read Deuteronomy 21, 23. Who wants that one? And Deuteronomy 25, 3. Once those two. Deuteronomy 21, 23. All right, Josh. Then who wants Deuteronomy 25, 3? All right, thank you. That one's actually not about the cross, the cross itself, but about something else. All right, go ahead, Josh. It says, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land with the Lord your God, and you for an inheritance. All right. And then 25.3 actually talks about whipping people. 
but they must not give you more than 40 months. Be a slog more than that. Your brother will be degraded in your eyes. Yeah. So the Jewish law actually told people they weren't allowed to, to scourge people like the Romans did too, uh, for that reason. So emotionally, mentally, is the godforsaken part. Secondly, you had the feeling of abandonment by people because nobody wanted to be identified with the person hanging on a cross. So it was very typical for the person dying to be basically dying alone with no family or friends there to support them. And um, just having people around them, making fun of them and blaspheming them, which is also what happened to Jesus. All he did was people around them just made fun of him, even though thieves on the cross even made fun of him. Well, one of them did. And none of his friends came with him. So Matthew 26, 56 says all the disciples forsook him and fled. So same thing happened to Jesus. Um so you had emotionally, you had the feeling that God forsaken this. This is just a normal Roman cross for everybody. That feeling of abandonment. And then worst of all, there was an element of shaming the person. Uh, I'll just read this. It says crucifixion. So this, I was reading something that was comparing the electric chair to crucifixion. And it said crucifixion, on the other hand, was designed to be seen by as many people as possible. The basement resulting from public display was the chief feature of the method, along with having prolonged agony. It was a form of advertisement or public announcement. This person is the scum of the earth, not fit to live, more an insect than a human being. The crucified wretch was pinned up like a specimen to be watched. And crosses were not placed out in the open for convenience or sanitation, but so they could have maximum public exposure. So it was a form of entertainment for people. Um, it, they were encouraged to mock, they were encouraged to spit, encouraged to throw feces, encouraged to place signs over their head, making fun of them and that kind of stuff. Um, and the person would be naked the whole time. And so when you think of stuff, um, this person mentioned um, Abu Dhabi, I think of the name of that, that happened a few years ago, so if I can find it, um, where the U.S. soldiers had all those Iraq, I think they were Iraqi prisoners that they made naked and stuff. Y'all remember that story that happened about 10 years ago? You know, the so the sexual jokes and the, the sexual stuff was involved in that as well as mocking the person because they were naked in front of everybody. Um, Abu uh, Grave, Abu Grave, there it is. So especially, I mean, that would be bad enough now but especially for a culture that really values honor, that was even worse. Now, we don't value honor as much as they did. So crucifixion was cleverly designed to be an almost theatrical enactment of the sadistic, inhumane impulses that lie within all human beings. Um, so that was the Roman cross in general. That, that's every, every person who was crucified, not just Jesus. That's what they endured. The scourging, the parading, the nailing, the hanging, and then the emotional and mental shaming and dehumanizing and abandonment that came with that in public in front of everybody. With that in mind, we have to remember, and at, we're asking the question, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? There were other Roman execution methods. So we can't say, you know, that was the only execution method available in the first century of uh, Israel because it wasn't. There was other ways to kill people by the government. 
And yet Jesus went to the cross. That was the way God chose because Jesus did it voluntarily. And he wasn't made to do this. He volunteered himself to go do this for us. You got to remember that. Nobody forced him. So why would God himself voluntarily choose a cross as the method of atoning for our sins? And I think it's because there's something about that extreme nature of that sort of death that teaches us something or a lot of stuff and about, about what was needed. So I want to throw that question out to you guys. Why do you think, or what I could say, what do you think the cross teaches us about what was needed in order for us to be forgiven and have a relationship with God? Coming out of the dead. They broke the legs to keep you from raising up and getting air. Yeah. Yeah, they broke the legs to keep you from breathing. Yeah. Our sins were so are so needed. Which are gone. So that the way Jesus died was such a horrific, wicked way. Teach us to stop. <coughs> yeah. And I think that's the main thing. Yeah. And so the other methods of execution of Romans, beheading and stuff like that. That's true. It was unique in that not a bone was broken despite all the other stuff that happened to him. I think Jan hit the main part is that when you talk about the cross like that, <laughs> As that was what, remember, Jesus on the bar in Gethsemane said, is there any other way that this cup can pass for me? Let's do it. But if it's not, your will be done. So he's literally asking, in other words, when, when Jesus goes to the cross, he's acknowledging that there is no other way to pay for sins but a Roman cross. Because he asked the Father if there could be a different way of doing it. And basically, the answer was no. Um, and I think it's what Jan said. I think we don't realize how nasty our sins are and how, how much punishment our sins really bring. And so the, the nature of the atonement had to be a method that was as physically close to the nature of the consequences and horridness of sin as possible. And they're really isn't another and hasn't historically been a worse way to die than a crucifixion at least not from a from a government judicial standpoint especially when you talk about public executions like that and so that was the way god said it needed to be done because of how terrible our sins are and how bad our punishment is for sin now um as bad as the physical part was on the cross, Jesus endured something more. 
because Jesus didn't just die on the cross like a normal criminal. He bore our sins and paid the penalty for our sins also while he was on the cross. And so there's a spiritual aspect to the cross as well that Jesus took on that nobody else that's ever died on a cross took on. And this is the spiritual aspect. And it came in really almost three steps. The first was the pain of Jesus taking on our sins upon his life. So somebody read Isaiah 53, 6. Who wants Isaiah 53, 6? And then 1 Peter 2, 4, 24. Joe, did you say you're going to get Isaiah 53, 6? Who wants 1 Peter 2, 24? 1 Peter 2, 24. Anybody? Okay. Read that now? Yeah, you can go ahead and read that, and then I'll get to it. Yeah. He himself bore sin in his body on the cross so that it might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Yeah. Then Isaiah 53 6. Joe. All right. So the first spiritual aspect was God laying sin upon Jesus. Um, so ever since Adam, because we're all from Adam, all of us have a sin nature. All of us are seen in a way as sinners. Jesus, as born a virgin, he didn't have sin. He was sinless. He had never sinned. He didn't have a sin nature. He had no experience with sin. And so the first pain was being laid upon him, our sins like that upon him. And we can don't think about that much as pain until you think about like in your own life, especially as a Christian. You know, when you know, when you do something wrong, you do experience pain about it. You feel bad about it. You hurt from it. The Holy Spirit convicts you about it. You know, hopefully when you sin, there's an element of anguish that comes with it that makes you know what's happening. Because you're a Christian. Jesus is not a Christian. He is the holy God. Like he's never experienced sin before. Not only that, but his repulsion to sin is so unbelievably strong because he's God. On top of that, he repulses sin way more than we are repulsed by sin. And so take that feeling you have when you know you've sinned and amplify it by a ton and you get the anguish that Jesus felt as he took the sins of the world upon himself all at one time and felt all that. So that was the first spiritual pain was just the burden of having sin being placed on him. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. The second um, part is kind of debated in terms of the details, but there was apparently some sort of feeling of separation between the son and the father. Now I could probably do a whole lesson just on this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because this, that one sentence has been so dissected. Of course, Christian history. What does, what exactly happened? What, to what degree was there that separation? If there was any separation. Um, but apparently there was, we can at least say there was some, degree of emotional and mental anguish for the because for the first time the son of god and god the father had that sin separation 
to some degree. Um, now, Jesus is quoting Psalm 22 when he says that. And in Psalm 22, the psalmist, he's not crying out as if he doesn't know where God is. He's saying basically, you know, why, why is this taking so long? Will you please come help me? And at the end of Psalm 22, it's actually a psalm of praise because God does come and help the psalmist and he does come and rescue the psalmist. And a lot of people pointed out that Jesus, in a way, was trying to tell the people on the cross that even though now he was feeling that abandonment, that separation from the Father, that just like in Psalm 22, there's good news that he comes to rescue three days later, there's good news for Jesus too. If you go look at the whole psalm. But that was that second part. So you had the feeling of sin being placed on him for the first time, and then some sort of separation of abandonment from the Father. And then the third and worst of all was then Jesus taking on the wrath of God for those sins. So I read Romans 3, 25 through 26. Romans 3, 25 through 26. Anybody? All right. God spake displayed publicly as a propitiation blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one as faith in Jesus. Yeah. So the Bible. Uh, there, Hebrews 12, 17, 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 4, 10. Other places in the Old Testament, we're not going to talk long about this because I'm going to talk about this on another day in more detail. But it uses this word propitiation, or at least that's our English translation of the word, which was a word that meant in both the Greek world and in the Hebrew world that there was um, wrath from a deity against somebody who has wronged him. And a propitiation was a way of appeasing that wrath so the person's relationship toward the deity was not one of wrath and enemy, but one of favor and friendship and relationship. And so what Romans 3, 25 through 26 tells us is that the, the Jewish Old, uh, Old Testament sacrificial system didn't appease God's wrath towards sin. They didn't forgive sin. That wasn't how you were forgiven by sin by the Jewish people. All God did is in his power stored up the punishment for sin for a period of time. And then finally, when the perfect time came, he took his stored out wrath for all the sins that have ever been committed by every human being before Jesus or after Jesus. And he poured the eternal amount of God's wrath for every sin that's ever been committed on Jesus in the course of a few hours. So an eternity worth of hell for sin on Jesus in a few hours. Um, and in that degree, that was probably worse than anything else we've talked about that Jesus endured. Is that to, to, to take on the wrath of God for sin. Now, how is Jesus able to do that? Well, Jesus being human, he could bear the wrath for humanity that Jesus being God, though, because God is infinite, he could take an infinite punishment and take it on within a few hours instead of having to take it on forever. So 
that was the worst part of all. The eternity of the wrath of God, the enormity of all those sins, punishment be poured on him for just a few hours there on the cross. I really liked this paragraph. I'll just read it. It said, to bear the guilt of millions of sins, even for a moment, would cause the greatest anguish of any soul. And to face the deep and fierce wrath of an infinite God, even for an instant, would cause somebody the most profound fear. But Jesus' suffering was not over in a minute or two or even ten. He said, when would it end? Could there be yet more weight in coming, yet more wrath of God coming? Hour after hour it went on. The dark weight of sin and the deep wrath of God pouring over Jesus like a wave after wave. Finally, Jesus at last cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why must this suffering go on so long? Why will you not bring it to an end? Then at last, Jesus knew his suffering was nearly complete. He knew he had consciously borne all the wrath of the Father against our sins because God's anger began to abate. and The awful heaviness of sin was being removed from him. He knew that all that remained yet now was to yield up his spirit and die. With the shout of victory, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Then with a loud voice, he once more cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then Jesus voluntarily gave up his life so that no one could take it from him, and he died. As Isaiah had predicted, Jesus, he poured out his soul to death and bore the sins of many. That's the spiritual aspect of the cross. Um, so when we ask the question, why the cross, it's, we kind of said this last week, we don't have a definitive answer, but what we can say is what the Bible says, which is that Jesus came at the perfect time in the, in the fullness of time at the perfect time at the right time. That's Galatians 4, 4, Romans 5, 6, that the cross was just the perfect thing that God needed to himself voluntarily pay the wrath for our sins so that we could have a relationship with God and not have to face that wrath. So anybody have any questions, comments about that? Jesus' humanity is still involved in all this. Yeah. He was still feeling, still human. Yeah. Yeah, he had to be still human, so it would count for us. Yeah. Did you say that when they were doing sacrifices of this one, that that, was, that wasn't to erase the right man? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't permanently erase their sins. That was a attempt, like a band-aid, a temporary thing and a, a teaching tool to teach them and prepare them for the ultimate sacrifice for Jesus. Yeah. So, like I said, I could do a, a, probably a whole lesson on that, on the topic of did Jesus get abandoned by the Father. Um, you know, it. The the reality is we just don't know exactly what Jesus meant by that. 
you know, was God turning his back because he didn't want to watch the father, I should say, because they're both God. Um, or was it that because Jesus was facing the wrath of God upon himself, that you can't do that and feel close to God at the same time. You can't feel the wrath of God and the closeness of God at the same time. Um, you know, we really don't know for sure exactly what that meant. Could it have been his speaking? Yeah. That's kind of what I think. Yeah, one person I read said that um, Jesus didn't, uh, you know, this pure speculation, so we can't say this for sure, but um, he said he thinks Jesus didn't know how long he was going to be on the cross. And so it was kind of a cry of like, how much longer am I going to have to be here? Uh, that would be his humanity cry. You know, those times where Jesus in his humanity didn't know the full extent of stuff. But that's pure speculation. I mean, we can't know that for sure. All right. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions. Uh, so, you know, today was a lot and it was, you know, this is not a lesson I could do on Sundays because of children and stuff like that. I would not, I will not talk about that in front of people and it's heavy. So some people don't like the idea and are repulsed by the idea of Jesus dying on the cross. My cousin being one of them that I've talked to you about. You know, what do we say to people when they are repulsed by the idea of us following and making such a big deal of somebody dying on a cross? Found a way to pay for sin. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I know people that, and we're going to talk about this on another lesson, but um, don't like the idea of God having wrath against sin, wrath toward us, and then Jesus having to bear God's wrath on himself. You know, they're repulsed by the idea of God having wrath toward anything. So that's repulsive to them. And we're going to talk more about that another week. That objection. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, that was probably an element of it, but there's also, you know, he did bear the penalty of sin. You know, it wasn't just abandoned. And we also have to remember, too, which is why it gets complicated, we can't separate the Trinity too much you know we can't can't act like you know jesus is down here and we say jesus and god but really i mean they're they're both god so when we talk about the cross you know it's god pouring his own wrath upon himself in a way you know and that's when it gets kind of confusing but that's that's how it is 
that was the truth. So he can be the just and the justifier at the same time. God poured wrath on himself, so he's the just and the justifier of our sins, as Paul says in Romans. Someone has an objection to the cross. Uh, I think it'd be good to point out that it was actually a great mercy and kindness to us that he did take that penalty for us. Yeah. Because otherwise, like Ephesians 2 1 says, we're dead in our sin. Yeah. Yeah. It does show God's great love for us. He didn't have to do that. It yeah. Would have been just, I mean, it would have been just to just let everybody die in hell. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to save anybody. Exactly. Yeah. It's in Corinthians, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness, become the righteousness of God. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also shows, you know, in general, we don't think very poorly of sin as an American culture. You know, we don't think of sin as being that big a deal. So somebody who's repulsed by the cross, perhaps what they need is a, greater understanding of how bad sin really is. And then you understand God's love too. Bible, though, and God's destroyed all cities. Like, why would they not destroy all cities? Yeah. Yeah, it's true too. Yeah. I agree with that. Just, you know, not really that afraid of going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so important that just uh, Romans puts it uh, laws given so that the, the sin might increase, the trespass might increase, to show us you know, just how simple and bad sin mm-hmm. is. Um, but the law and the gospel kind of there's a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. And the law also shows that you can't get to God by being good. Yeah. And nobody can follow the whole law. Yeah. It's too much stuff. So when we talk about, so we go back to First Corinthians. Chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, the cross is a is foolishness to Gentiles and a stumbling block to Jews. Um, but to us, it's the wisdom and power of God. You know, I hope, my hope today was that you could begin to see a little bit of what the Bible means when it mentions the cross like that to the people back then. 
You know, when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You know, that sounds a lot more hard if you actually know what a crucifixion entailed than if your view of the cross was a gold piece on somebody's necklace, you know. And, um, you know, my hope, too, even though it's not easy thing to think about, is we begin to have a greater appreciation for how much our salvation cost God. Because in Ephesians, he said, he says, you know, live worthy of the calling that you've been called. The whole reason we follow God after becoming Christians is not because we believe it's the way we go to God. It's our thanks for what God has done for us. And if we understand what God has actually done for us in the cross, we begin to see a need to live worthy of that calling that he did for us. Does that make sense? not not wasted or as the author of Hebrews says not not to trample the blood of Christ the second time that's what the author of Hebrews says any other comments or questions all right so today was the not fun day uh, I guess it's fun if you think about the fact that now we're forgiven of our sins and get to go to heaven, don't have to bear the wrath of God and have a relationship with God and peace with God and joy with God. In that sense, it's very joyful, not joyful in thinking about what Jesus had to endure so we could have that free gift of eternal life. Um, next week is the fun part, resurrection and ascension, because we're reminded as bad as the cross was, it's not the end of the story. And that the story gets even better after that. So that's what we'll do this part two, the sequel next week. Let me pray for y'all. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to be here today and let us be able to discuss your word. And even though it's uh, no, not always fun to talk about your crucifixion, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for your willingness to endure that for us so that we could have salvation as a free gift of faith and not by any sort of works, just a free gift of faith your grace and lord i pray that we be people who walk worthy of that salvation that you've bought for us lord i pray that we be people that um share your gospel with people knowing that you bought a way for them to go and have a